hello. Welcome to the Heavy Hole. My name is Tom. My name is Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck. And my name is Justin. How are you guys doing? Sweaty. Uh, I, I'm... <laughs> Sweat is, might be the common denominator here. No, I, I'm keeping very cool over here, man. Uh, I got this this fan. Ju- Tom convinced me that I could run a fan in the room while this new mic is up and running, so it's his fault if my audio is coming out similar to a 1985-era demo cassette right now. Which is your preferred sound quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's that, this is actually my version of a pedal. Um, I, I'm, I'm all right, but Justin, I'm more concerned about your shirt. Uh, are, are there bees anywhere? So you have flowers all over yourself today. I, and the old school logo Cannibal Corpse Trucker hat. Just to, I just to went to out. town on uh, on some old grandma's couch. You know, I ripped that clear plastic off because I was like, it's time to get you exposed to the world. And I fashioned it into a, a very nice fitting shirt. You know, it's got the length. I, yeah, it's 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 wild, all right. <laughs> It's great, man. Uh, Tom, how are you? How, what, what is that on your shirt, man? What do you got going on there? This is my shirt, uh, promotional shirt for a failed video game I was creating. Um, oh, or well, rather a, a backburnered video game. It's not totally dead, but um, let's not get into Work that because it's a sore subject. <laughs> it's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> Tom, Tom looking fresh with the shave, uh, not letting the quarantine uh, beard grow like me. Vomit remnants in the house, by the way, if you guys didn't, didn't yeah, there notice. There you go. Of course, classic. Yeah, green ink, yeah, wear this as often as possible. Listen, uh, I want to know, though, Justin, what's going on? How you doing, man? Um, yeah, but doing well. Uh, I was out this morning uh, trying to break my surf fishing curse that, that I've been experiencing over the past three years where I can't seem to land a damn fish on the mm. beautiful South Shore beaches of Long Island. Uh, trying okay. different, different baits, different hooks, some jigs, some spinners. And they, they're beating me every time. You know, high tide, low oh. tide. Uh, today, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful Sunday. So I uh, got a little crowded with surfers and swimmers. And, you know, extended families playing football when I'm trying to cast. So it could have mm. gone a little bit better. But, you know, hey, at least you're outside. It's a beautiful day. Enjoying the island that we live on. Wow. Uh, I, I have a, uh, a tide coming into my eye as I, cr- as I tear up. At that, yeah. you're like Walt Whitman right now with, I, with this poetry about uh, our home, Long Island. Wave, uh, waves I'm, are beating me up, eroding my my body with the sand. Yeah, please stop. You're getting me choked <laughs> up. Before we start this uh, interview, we got to do. Um, I'm actually testing my luck tomorrow at uh, Comset Beach there in uh, Lloyd Harbor, Huntington. Going, going. Me and the old man going uh, surf casting. There you go. We'll test out the old gear. Uh, Oil everything up, get it, get it going out there, man. Already purchased the uh, uh, not the fresh, the frozen uh, squid and clams from the um, the bait shop down there in, in Huntington Bay. Very um, nice. Got them in the freezer, ready to go. The, the local squid um, bigger. Uh, you only get a few of them. For, that's the big difference there. So we're you know when you're surf casting right off the beach there, I didn't think it made sense. I went with the uh, the imported squid. From across the other side of the country, smaller. Yeah, now you know, like it's it's like the New York pizza thing. You can't sell you can't sell like Oklahoma pizza to a New Yorker. You know, you mm-hmm. got you got to give yeah. them the pe- the pepperonis that get in the little cups with the honey on it. They yeah, know. they're gonna no sell that dish. All right, hundred uh, percent. Listen, but let's not bring it to pro wrestling right now. They got enough no, problems. You, you can't do fishing Tom, to pro wrestling back to back on me like that. It's, <laughs> It's not fucking fair. <laughs> like like a like an in season uh, sizable uh, fluke that you can keep 
uh, flipping back to back. We're going to flip to you, Tom, right now. How are you doing? This has been one of the busiest weeks in my life regarding work. I'm flying, man. I'm fucking flying. All right. Are you okay, Tom? Do you need to... <laughs> You need to talk or something? No, I don't know. I'm just saying vagueness to <laughs> fill up this time. I've been practicing my radio speak, which is basically saying nothing. <laughs> we try to say the okay. best nothing here. That's, that's, that's the whole idea. You know, if someone gives you a margin of time to speak in, use it. Okay. All right. Fair enough, man. Uh, you got some time. Use it. <laughs> yeah. Will, what's going on with you, man? Not much. Uh, just, uh... I don't know. I don't know. Uh, working on uh, artificial brain demos. Um, uh, we were obviously delayed in the recording process now at this point with everything that's been going on, uh, but the, the guys have been taking that time to refine some of this music uh, and to send further rehearsal demos along. I've been working towards that. So just for maybe artificial brain fans that might peruse the show from time to time, uh, I am working on uh, you know the, the lyrics and vocals. and you know Most of it's done at this point, but you know we're kind of take an opportunity of the extra time to make sure that we uh we give the best quality uh, artificial brain record possible man and uh, making moves behind the scene with the other bands um uh you know with reeking aura uh, writing material things like that man it's it's amazing that we got all this capability now with the internet man back in the day if everybody had to crowd in at home uh a lot of, a lot of bands would have just broken up <laughs> you know what i mean i don't know or turned into one-man projects but um uh, for you know, just for all my projects, we're keeping busy behind the scenes, man. Like uh, so many other musicians are uh, nowadays, man. And um, uh, enough about me, though, man. You know, our guest tonight is going to talk about uh, people um, making music in a whole different part of the world. Uh, we're going to talk to Abhay Singh, uh, producer of the Extreme Nation documentary, which is uh, making its rounds in film festivals: uh, Peru, Colombia, Korea. Um, some of those uh, film festivals, obviously, now probably postponed with everything going on in the world um but you can view it on vimeo as well as probably some other platforms uh we're going to talk to him today and get him on the horn and uh, get his experience and uh learn a little bit more about this movie that we talked about already once in our documentary episode if you remember um it's a movie about the metal scene on the indian subcontinent so we're going to get into it better call him up Okay, Heavy Hole Podcast. Uh, Tom Justin and myself are here with Abhay Singh, uh, who's the executive producer of Extreme Nation, uh, a documentary about metal on the Indian subcontinent that we already talked about a little bit on our episode about documentaries a few weeks ago. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, we, we appreciate it, man. And, you know, we just talked a little bit behind the scenes, so we're going to get right into it. Um, could you just tell us a little bit about where you're from, uh, and your family in relation to music uh, and rock and roll in particular, and and uh, and what kind of a background you're from to begin with? All right. So um, I come from India, and um, right now, of course, I am living in Zurich for the last ten years, and in Switzerland since 2006. Um, and uh, I'm from, I would say, North India, pretty much. 
Um, and um, I grew up in a in an industrial town which makes steel and automobiles. So there was already a lot of metal around me <laughs> from forge and foundry, etc. And um, I remember um, listening to the, my first rock and roll record. Or I would say heavy rock record would be Deep Purple's Machine Head. And my dad actually bought that cassette way back in the 70s. And it was lying around. I grew up and uh, I was born in 1978. So I think when I was in my growing years, there was always music in my family, so I have lots of uncles and aunts who are always into, let's call it Western music as such, and uh, some of them actually listen to some sort of rock and roll, so Led Zeppelin, ACDC, Deep Purple, there was a little bit of Dire Straits as well, Pink Floyd, etc. And um, from my side, I think I really got into the scene um, of course, when MTV came around, when actually MTV used to play music, and MTV uh, started in our cable news and uh, cable channels in our area, and uh, it was a big thing because you know you would get to see music 24 hours. That was like unbelievable. Yeah, um, and then you know you have exposure to a lot of um, bands, and I'm talking about uh, I would say 1990 or so. And, you know, Metallica was, I think, had was going to release the Metallica Metallica album then. And it, they were receiving a lot of airplay with, you know, Enter Sandman and The Unforgiven, etc. So uh, we sort of started getting exposed to uh, what you call heavier music. And, uh, you know, then they always used to rotate with, um, you know, some Scorpions and some other songs. And then, of course, we have these ads for Headbangers, Paul which used to play at 12 o'clock at midnight, which was always quite interesting because they chose like this really witching hour time slot. And when you saw the ads, they would have maybe some Morbid Angel playing it and you would always be curious as what is this music really? And since it was 12 o'clock at midnight, I could not turn the TV on and listen to this stuff. So what I used to do is actually uh, record it on a cassette and then maybe probably watch it the other day, the next day. For example, yeah, and uh, uh, so happened that you know I got um, um, you know in, into listening to all the really heavy bands at that time. Like uh, Morbid Angel was one of them. Um, just with the whole aesthetic, etc., was scary stuff. Um, and also, um, uh, I think Death. Uh, of course, you have talked a lot about that in your podcast. Yeah. And there's an interesting connection with Death uh, as its members. Um, because I happen to be friends, or let's say, connected to Paul Masvidal. Um, I will talk about that later. So I, I remember seeing Lack of Comprehension for the first time on um, at Bangers Ball, and I was absolutely blown away you know, from the time it starts, and then it picks up with Chuck coming in, and crazy headbanging going around. We're like, what the fuck is this, man? And uh, then, you know, you start looking around for these records, and we used to not find them because there was no market for that. And uh, you know that in India, um, metal is relatively new compared to, let's say, United States, Europe, etc. Um, and we would not find them. So what we used to end up doing is getting this some from some yeah, bootlegs from Nepal coming in. Either they were used to um, come in from either from 
or they were pirated from China or somewhere, is to get these really shitty records on cassette. You know, these clamshells, if you remember them, they used to still make them back then. Um, and that was <laughs> yeah. our intro into listening to, let's say, what we used to call it like really dark stuff. Yeah? So that was one of the first bands I remember listening to, Morbid Angel, um, Hellhammer, for sure, was one of them, Kelsey Frost was one of them, um, and uh, of course a lot of other bands as well, like uh, the thrash bands, like Anthrax, Slayer, for, for sure, um, Megadeth, etc. all the, the earlier albums, per se, yeah? So uh, that was really my introduction into it, and you know, from there you kind of uh, get into it, and I remember it was just me and another guy, who used to listen to this stuff. So we were like, you know, so-called weirdos of the class who used to listen to some really crazed out music. That was what we were known for. And I think my classmates uh, from high school, even today, remember me. I said, oh, you still listen to this stuff? I was like, fucking A, man, I still do it. <laughs> Why should I ever stop? Yeah, so, so yeah, so one thing led to another and then of course uh, a big shout out to the mp3 revolution which came in uh, later in 96 or maybe 98 or so so we were downloading mp3s to get a hold of all these different artists from all over the world and uh, napster was still around then so i'm talking about 2000 or something and interestingly enough um in 2000 when i graduated from college um i moved to the united states so I was in the United States in the D.C. area for almost six years and I worked in uh, New York City uh, and San Francisco and D.C. Uh, and uh, checked out a couple of shows even there. So yeah, that was a different time. Um, uh, it was all like, you know, whatever you could get your hands on, you would go to a show, rock yourself out and have a good time. Yeah? And I think that remains the same. I mean, I think Europe has a little bit more open culture to metal because I see a lot of kids out here with metal t-shirts and there's a lot more acceptance somehow I think here as compared to what it was in America because in America it was still seen as ah oh, okay these guys are like uh, either bikers or um, crazed out headbangers you know um, so-called low life <laughs> well that's not the scene <laughs> here and, and at least in Europe it's, it's a little bit different here yeah so yeah um, that was, I would say, long story short of how I got here. So one thing led to another. You discover so many different genres of music. Um, uh, growing up with um, bands like Death, Cynic, for example, Atheist, for example, um, you rediscover them, you know, maybe 10 years down the line and you have a renewed appreciation for them. And you say, wow, these guys figured it out way back then. And now all these new wave of bands that were doing like Cattle Decapitation, Obscura, etc. They're they're picked up from where they left off. Yeah. And I would say same for Black Metal. I am wearing a Mayhem T-shirt. Nice. <laughs> Incidentally. <today. laughs> yeah. So that's uh, that's let's say my brief introduction. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> so. Well, well, um, yeah, that's 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 great too. To catch us up to speed, and I I was gonna just interject and ask you. When you, you mentioned being in the United States and being in a few different uh, cities, and I just wanted to ask you, what shows did you get to catch while you were here? Anything of note? Any bands that we, us and our listeners might uh, you know know of? Absolutely, absolutely. So I've seen uh, uh, Morbid Angel uh, 
you guys know Jack's nightclub in uh, Virginia? Might ring a bell for me. I, I, I might have been there before, but it's, you know. Uh, it's in, uh, if I remember, it's in a place funnily called Springfield, Virginia. <laughs> and uh, it's like uh, close to uh, Washington, D.C. I, I think that's the biggest uh, city nearby. And I watched Morbid Angel play live when um, uh, uh, Evil D was still in the band. Dave Vincent was still in the band. Um, and uh, funnily enough, Behemoth opened for them. And also Christian from Brazil. So that was one of the most memorable shows I remember. That was extreme, like crazed out stuff. And they were playing all the old tracks from Altars of Madness. And I mean, I remember the mosh that was going absolutely wild. People were fucking hugging each other when they were in playing uh, um, Chapel of Ghouls and stuff. And we were all singing along. It was just a surreal experience back then. And I remember Behemoth was still an upcoming band then and uh, Nergal had still not uh, had his leukemia then so he was still having his long hair and he was still pushing on I think this was uh, maybe 2004 or something so yeah this was definitely before his bout with leukemia for yeah, sure that, that was like the demigod time that's when that album came out Dem- demigod yeah exactly exactly demigod exactly mm-hmm. so they were all doing the demigod tour with christian and morbid angels that's a great lineup that was absolutely awesome of course uh, i mean you had your usual there so you had megadeth coming in every now and then um you had uh, uh i've actually never watched a metallica show but um yeah they were playing uh, it was always very difficult to get this ticket so for me it was like if i could get a ticket for like 20 to 30 dollars back then you know we weren't earning that much at that point of time and go and see like three four bands at a night <laughs> that's pretty much set yeah so that was that was that was pretty much yeah my uh, uh let's say my exposure to metal back home uh back in in united states um and uh, i think i have even seen i've seen slayer a couple of times in fact my first slayer concert was in the united states so you can imagine a kid from India, who has listened to Slayer all his teenage years, gets to see Slayer. I think uh, it was my friend and I. We drove from Greenville, South Carolina, in a truck <laughs> to Atlanta. Um, and there's this uh, venue called the Tabernacle. If you know that one, okay. It, it's 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 also a comedy venue because I know Bill Burr has done a couple of shows there as well. So. Uh, it doubles up as a concert venue and I think it was Slayer and a bunch of other like smaller bands um, and uh, the smaller bands were like okay nothing that great but when Slayer came on stage and I think Lombardo was not in the band it was Paul Bostap at that point in time when Slayer came on stage the pit fucking exploded and you know people just rushed from the back of the um, hall right up front I don't know, I'm not a very big guy, so I was like, holy shit, I need to take a step back because, you know, we were <laughs> control. There were like these huge linebacker guys who were just standing, pushing everybody around in the mosh pit. We were like, you gotta stay the fuck away from them, otherwise you'll be bounded to pulse. But yeah, I would say that was one of my uh, most memorable concerts of Slayer. Um, and then I also saw them live a couple of times later, I think in Cincinnati. Uh, with my cousin, I took him there um, at this venue called Bogart. A lot of a lot of these venues sound like they're probably bigger venues in those cities to be packing in Slayer. 
So my touring experience would have been much smaller venues when I went to those cities, you know? Yeah, I mean, actually, this one was not that big because, I mean, I was also quite surprised that Claire was playing there because it was not like an arena <laughs> tour or something of that sort. I mean, you have to think about the time, uh, this is 2003 I'm talking about, so Claire was still not stadium level known, yeah? I mean, they were, they were of course, known in their circle, but they used to still do club tours. And I think Arch Enemy opened for them and... Uh, Hate breed, exactly that tour, exactly. Yeah. Oh, I was, at, I saw I, that tour. Me and Justin, we saw that when when it was in <laughs> the city. Yeah, 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 yeah. When it was a Roseland Ballroom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Cool. So, uh, did they also play Rain and Blood the entire album in that tour? Um, I don't I honestly so. remember. Yeah, we I don't were, think so. They played a lot off of. Uh, oh, dude, like thirteen. Well, yeah, we were like thirteen or fourteen. Like My dad took us in. You know? Yeah. Okay, yeah, because I remember when they started with Angel of Blood, uh, Angel of Death, sorry, uh, and then they went on to the next song and the next song, and then we were like, fuck, they're playing the whole album. Come on, man, this is crazy. <laughs> and it was a 35 minute album. So we were absolutely losing our shit. I mean, that was just amazing. Yeah. So to see Rain and Blood being performed live right in front of your eyes, going all the way uh, down to Raining Blood at the very end, I think we were so so pumped by the time we got out you know everything all the alcohol that we had consumed had all washed away with all the drinking <laughs> so it was a fun time man yeah yeah nice. shout out to Cincinnati man shout out to our listeners out out Cincinnati way man um now let me ask you on that note of these these kind sounds like you had a great time at these shows man that's awesome to hear and I'm, I love that that you guys all caught that same run of that same tour back in the day man but <laughs> What was your experience going to shows um, in in India? Were there metal shows in India before you left India? Um, actually, none that I could remember. So I have seen like um, rock bands perform live. Um, I would say some really good cover bands perform cover songs of Metallica songs, uh, Slayer songs as well, um, and that was all we could get at that point of time. And that landscape has changed quite a lot, I would say, in the last uh, maybe 13 years or so. Um, and I think that's when... Uh, so, Roy, the director of the movie, uh, Extreme Nation, he was sort of living like a parallel life. And he is, I think, two years younger to me. So, he has... All, he, but he grew up in a big city like Bombay or Mumbai, as it's called now. So, there were a lot more shows happening there. Um, compared to, let's say, smaller cities. Like, you would have um, bands like, I think Iron Maiden came to India pretty late. I mean, I would say that would be something like 2008 or so in Bangalore. And that was like a big headlining event. But Maiden coming to India with their own jet and all that stuff, that's like unheard of, right? And earlier bands, maybe they have swung by. I mean, you've had guys like uh, George Harrison from the Beatles coming to India at some point with a spiritual departure of some sort, but never performed live, yeah? Because there was not much of an audience, I would say, right? And metal for sure is still not like a known genre, or let's say accepted genre by um, like anybody. The mainstream media forget about it, and I think we talk about it in the movie as well. So whatever you get airplays, it's mainly the known band, so... Yeah, people do um, uh, listen to Guns N' Roses, etc. at least when I was growing up. I was into them initially, but I was getting into heavier stuff. I think I think Judas Priest did it. So 
the moment I heard painkiller, I was like, "Fuck everything else. This is the way to go." I mean, this is <laughs> this is the sound that I'm looking for, man. So uh, then you build up on that, and so that's your baseline. And Maiden is always like going to be there. You know, it's like one of those bands you kind of live through. So yeah, but in India, yeah, I was pretty sad back then. Um, so you can imagine from India to go to United States and see Slayer for the very first time. Mind blowing. Mind-blowing, yeah. Yeah, definitely something to think about and something that uh, we might take for granted. Um, and that 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 kind of takes takes us into, you know, obviously um, we're, we're three uh, New Yorkers over here from Long Island um, and watching the movie, I really, like, I got a glimpse into a part of the world I've obviously never been to uh, and I'm not too familiar with, but at the same time, um, you know, it's, it, it was, it was kind of like more of the same when it came to the attitudes of the metal scene. Uh, and just to just to quote um, uh, two people that were in uh, Extreme Nation in the very beginning of Extreme Nation, there's some concert goers. I think it was uh, probably for Impiety. It was during the same scenes as Impiety playing there, and there was the one guy. He was he was great. He said, "This is not an escape. This is reality." And then there was another guy that said, "It's it's like a religion, but it's more than religion." And those people on the street in the beginning of the movie, they struck me. And I said this in our documentary episode, just like some guys in New York City, in Long Island, in any local show I've played touring with my bands across the states, um, it's kind of like a common language of, of metalheads everywhere you go, uh, you know, or, or at least that's what I perceive. And that's something I took away from the movie um, is how how, how how different everything is, but how, you know how 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 metal kind of ties it all in together, man. And would you say that in in that on that note, metal ties in? a lot of people within uh, the Indian subcontinent like who, who might not, not, not otherwise have a dialogue. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, the Indian subcontinent in itself is like a giant organism, right? So we have, um, of course, we have India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh. We also have Nepal, of course, Bhutan as well. Um, and Nepal actually has a very big metal scene as well just because of their proximity to um China and they do get a lot of pirated stuff from China into Nepal so there are a lot of bands there uh, there was a big question whether we could feature Nepal in as well into extreme nation but it was just logistically uh, a nightmare even getting four countries on the same page together but I agree so the those uh, interviews that you have in the beginning of the movie is like our homage to your typical heavy metal parking lot scenes you know you go to mm -hmm. any heavy metal show, and if you go to the parking lot, there are a bunch of guys having drinks out of the boot and talking shit, or just shouting slayer on the top of the voice. Right? So <laughs> it's pretty much the same parallel. So regardless of whichever region or culture you go to, if you have that sort of a situation, you will always find the same regular Joes, you know, with the back patches, battle vest black t-shirts like me <laughs> you know so i mean it, it it becomes one and the same you know it doesn't matter where you're from so some, somehow if you go to a show like this you somehow almost forget that you know you're actually in your hometown so um in the later half of the movie that's where uh, cult of fire is actually playing was in bangalore that's towards the very end so that is like you know the most uh, known show in bangalore with I mean, it was just 300 people, but was a packed audience for the for the venue. But we had the same atmosphere, same the people with black T-shirts, 
loaded with booze and having a good time. <laughs> so that's pretty much the commentary everywhere. Yeah, actually, you mentioned um, Bangalore, and in the film, there's a brief interview with a man. Um, I, I, I'm going to try to say Vikram, uh, uh, Vikram, who, who was who was in the band Gruesome Malady, and I believe now owns a record store. And he was quoted as saying, Bang- "Bangalore is the metal capital uh, of of India." Um, you know, kind of. I, you know, I, 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 I don't, I don't imagine he was he was saying that. You know, uh, to diss anybody, but he was obviously very prideful of the metal history there. Yeah, no, and uh, because he's one of the stalwarts in um, the Bangalore metal scene, so his band Dying Embrace and Gruesome Malady were, I would say, one of the first, let's say, extreme metal bands of his time. So I'm talking about uh, 1994 onwards, right? And they were already doing a lot of splits with bands from Pakistan, which is uh, unheard of in mainstream. You would not have that just because of our not so good diplomatic relations, right? So they were cutting through borders anyways and doing this and releasing these, let's say, underground CDs. And I'm a good friend wow. of Vikram because uh, I was introduced to him from a friend of mine and I've actually visited his store, the one where he's being interviewed. And yeah, it's like your uh, regular, you know, record LP store and the owner is the vocalist of your band. And, um, you know, he's an old old guy, older, maybe a couple of years older to me. So, you know, we sort of grew up in the same time, listening to the same sort of music um, and, you know, having a very small circle of friends to talk to. So, Bangalore uh, is known because there were, uh, there were a lot of bands which sprung out of Bangalore uh, and had uh, always done that. But he also talks about the northeast of India, where Plague Throat are from. Uh, and there, uh, I think... Our own uh, ectomy band, Chiselectomy, is also there. I remember we were talking about the ectomy bands from um, with uh, Sanjay and Sanil from Wormhole. Uh, so they are from yeah. the northeast in India. Uh, so they have a completely different scene. So again, their shows are very small, maybe like 50, 60 people or maybe 100 people. But they are pretty tight in that group. So um, these bands are playing slam, man. I mean, I had absolutely no idea even that there was a slam band existing in India. So, um, so like to me, Roy caught them. So, yeah, they're in the documentary. That, that was one of our finds. Yeah, that that was really interesting. Uh, shout to um, Cephalectomy. Uh, I know they have an album on the Italian label, Death Metal Industry, if people want to look into that and look that up. Like you said, Slam. You see images of them live um, in, in the interview, and it's like Slam with guttural vocals. It's, you know, it's like the type of stuff we do on Long Island that people might expect, you know, from our, you know, yeah, 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 coming right out from, let's say, internal bleeding or suffocation. So they're being inspired from those bands, and uh, they're just doing exactly, uh, you know, and pushing the the envelope a little bit further. So uh, plague throat are more, let's say, they're also guttural, but they're not really slam. They're more, I would say, tech on the tech death side, yeah, but definitely. a little bit different. Yeah, exactly. But there are other bands um, in uh, in from Bombay, etc., where they do play, or they are actually getting into tech tech death in general. So I think this is sort of new in India. There are a lot of, lot of these uh, bands which are quite uh, tied to their roots. We even have a band called Dwesha. It's mentioned in the documentary. Like this guy comes to Vikram and asks, "Do you have any Dwesha albums?" And uh, this band 
is, I would say, the closest parallel would be they are like an Indian version of Bolthor, uh, but they sing in the local dialect, which is unheard of in metal, even in India. I mean, you have local dialect, local music, but guttural vocals in the local dialect doing Bolthor-esque OSDM sort of stuff, unusual stuff. So, yeah, they've had an album out, I think, on... Um, if I'm not mistaken, on Dunkelheit Records from Germany. Um, and uh, yeah, they're pretty tight. They're pretty tight. I don't know if they're releasing anything new, but uh, that was a really nice album. So check it out. And what was the name of that band, uh, just for the listeners again? It's called Dresha. It's spelled D-H-W-E-S-H-A, Dresha. Another band that I wanted to ask you about that's in the documentary is Plague Throat. Um, and in, when you're when we're introduced to Plague Throat, we see um, one of the members of the band. He's wearing a scarf that he describes as a traditional muffler that was presented to him. He says, "Now I, I'm going to ask you to explain this to me." Presented to him by NGOs uh, for representing India at at Wacken, um, at Wacken Metal Fest. Now, did I get that correctly? That's correct. So uh, I think Wacken uh, has this metal battle contest uh, in every country now. Uh, and I think for that very year, they got selected. Um, and uh, I think they played. Um, and it was awarded by the NGOs for representing their state, actually, where they're from uh, in Shillong, um, in, in the Northeast. And uh, of course, they got to go to Wacken and perform in front of um, 20,000 fans. So the scarf he's wearing, uh, exactly, it's like some uh, traditional stuff. So one thing I have to point to you is India being so diverse. I am absolutely unaware of the culture that's there in the local state because A, they speak a different language, like a different regional language. They, of course, speak English, but they might not speak my, uh, the national language, which is Hindi, right? So yeah, we all talk in English yeah. as we see in the movie. And uh, we are unaware of their local customs. So that's why Roy is asking, you know, what, what's the few wearing? And he says, yeah, well, this is a <laughs> traditional stuff. It's like, okay. So, <laughs> new, bad news for us as well. So uh, that's always interesting to learn something new. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was really cool that, because um, what I got out of it was that his local community was proud that, that they were supporting the, com- you know, representing the community, uh, even, th- you know, through metal, which isn't something you would necessarily, I don't, you would never see local community leaders congratulating, uh, you know, a metal band around here. Uh, you know, it's kind of unheard of. So that's, it's, that's cool, you know. And um, it seemed like there was generally uh, a, a supportive uh, attitude from some of the older generation. You know, you had some of the parents, I, th- I think, of some of the artists. And, you know, some of them were like, well, you know, he, we, we, we taught him, how, you know, we, we got him lessons in traditional guitar and then he found metal. And, but it, it seemed overall like it wasn't scorned, like people weren't getting kicked out of the house for playing death metal, you know. Is that a, a general attitude? Um, yeah, I would say um, I, I can draw a parallel with, uh, with my own family. So um, I would say my parents are quite liberal in that regard. Uh, we, I grew up in a very liberal household and it's... I'm the only son of my parents. So, um, you know, they, the moment they found out that I'm interested in music, and I also play a little bit of shitty guitar, but <laughs> so they said, okay, if you're interested in learning to do something constructive, go for it. So my dad presented me my first guitar when I was in uh, 30 years old or something. 
It was a really bad guitar. It was like a local made copy and uh, of a Fender, and it was really, really horrible. But um, I still stuck to it. And then I think I bought my first guitar out of my own paycheck. It was a Jackson guitar from somewhere near DC, and I was quite proud of that because you know that was my own earning. So. Um, yeah, I mean, but they never stopped me from doing anything like that. Uh, they never uh, criticized my music taste. They were always w wondering about it. Um, and uh, all the t-shirts, etc. they were like, oh my God, you're always wearing stuff with, you know, skulls and crossbones and, you know, satanic stuff, quasi stuff, you know, so what's the deal with it? Uh, but, you know, they never really made an issue out of it. Yeah, so I think so that was also discussed by the guitars or the basis of the phylectomy that you know my family they scold me but you know i don't care <laughs> i will still put on my record yeah so it's not like you know we will shut you out and uh how do you say these days cancel you <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay man um and uh I'm, I'm just looking through the notes here um plate throat seemed like really cool guys uh, like again, just kind of in the spirit of um, uh, just me you know metalheads, uh, and kind of like everywhere you go, um, there's metalheads, you know. And another thing we saw was uh, Miriam uh, Hansel, who I guess is a representative from Vakken Open Air, uh, and she was talking about her time. What what exactly is that uh, relationship between Vakken and India? I guess there's an Indian version of the Vakken Festival. That's correct. So uh, there is a um, series called Bangalore Open Air, so sort of mirroring Vakin Open Air. And uh, there is uh, the organizer, Salman. He's uh, also mentioned, although he didn't come on camera in the movie, but he, he is our contact to, let's say, the Vakin community in Germany. So Miriam Hensel is actually, she mentioned that, you know, um, they wanted to do something similar in India. And all the Germans knew about India was Bollywood because trust me, I live in Zurich and we have German channels here as well. And if you turn on the Bollywood channel, it's all Bollywood movies dubbed into German, no subtitles, dubbed. And it's hilarious watching it <laughs> because, you know, they are speaking in German with an Indian intonation. And that's what people are seeing in mainstream Germany. So for her to imagine that, hey, we'll do Vakin in India, a mini version thereof is uh, was unheard of but when i think when she flew down there uh, and saw what was going on she was kind of impressed you know so she said oh you know let's just go ahead and i think she's made seven more trips since when she was shot last in the in the movie so i think uh, they did uh uh walk in metal battle for this last of course this year nothing happening but uh, i think the last they did was the last year yeah, exactly so i think Abbas played in India um, last in um, February in 2019. Ebulation um, has played in India. Uh, big names. Um, I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, from the really obscure metal scene, Demelik has played in India from Finland. Wow, okay. Demelik or Demelik. I'm not sure. So it's uh, one of those obscure bands that has played in India, which you know, they don't even play in Europe that much, which was surprising. And then I think yeah. uh, Ishan, Ishan from Emperor uh, played his solo uh, version in uh, India way back. And I think, yeah, I mean, imagine having a guy like Ishan uh, hanging around with local Bangalore dudes, eating local Bangalore food is 
unthinkable, unthinkable when I was growing up as a teenager. So yeah, that's pretty cool stuff, man. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you talk about uh, Isan, obviously, uh, of Emperor, um, De- uh, Dem- Demolik, Demolich, however we say it, Who I by the, an, an emulation, classic bands, and uh, I have a little bit of personal history with Demolich myself. Um, my band, Artificial Brain, we supported Demolich um, on their most recent U.S. tour, uh, like two years ago, uh, for, for a few dates there. Yeah, so yeah, I'm a big, big fan of that band, so that's that's great, man. Amazing that they um, were able to come back after all those years and get down there. That's, that's awesome. Um, and... You know, another old school band, um, in the research, I happened to listen to a lot of Millennium yesterday. And I wanted to ask you, um, you did interview briefly uh, one of the, um, what, what was it, the, the singer, uh, Ver- Vernham Ibrahim? Did I get that correct? Vernon, like you say, Vernon in, in America. So, yeah, Vernon Ver- Ibrahim yeah. is like the, the lead vocalist of the band. And yeah, mm-hmm. he's a, a lot older now, but um, I have never seen them play live, but... I would say they were like our go-to cover band for Metallica, Megadeth, and Maiden covers because they do them really well, even back then. And they did have their own um, individual uh, self-titled album, which was kind of a big thing for an Indian band at that point of time to have something out on their own as a self-titled album, just like a Metallica, Metallica, they had Millennium, Millennium. So... Uh, it was like a proud moment for us back then that, yeah, you know, we have one band which has an album out. <laughs> so, uh, but I think um, uh, Millennium sort of disbanded or let's say discontinued playing a while back and uh, Vernon is teaching music in a dedicated school for music and he does radio shows, etc. But he's like a respected community member and actually he's from Bangalore. That's where Bangalore retains the metal capital. As Vikram uh, correctly suggested, yeah, exactly. Much to the uh, consternation of Bombay, who was <laughs> like a close rival, but hey, Bangalore was number yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you know, we always, you know, in in, uh, in the United States, we always have like New York, and we have the Bay Area, and Florida. There's all these metal regions. Um, but it, that's that, that's that's interesting to me, man, because um, I listened to a lot of Millennium self-titled album uh, yesterday. And I would recommend it to our listeners. It kind of struck me, personally as a fan, my own opinion, as like maybe uh, older Metallica meets some of that first wave, like German thrash, uh, like slash first wave black metal, like your your older Destruction, older Sodom, older Creator. Uh, Millennium, I think, would fit right in there very comfortably, man. A a, a formidable band. Yeah, exactly. So that's correct. The parallel, I think they were growing up on these records in their youth, so... Yeah, you're talking about uh, Sodom and uh, Creator, at least Pleasure to Kill, um, uh, Sodom's Obsessed by Cruelty, um, and yeah, the older albums, Not the, the newer ones became more trashier, but the older ones had that really dark, um, yeah, quasi-black metal vibe to it, right? So I think they grew up listening to that and they were trying to emulate them and trying to find their own sound. So, And they also wanted to not... Uh, completely alienate their audiences so they have that also mainstream Metallica influence mainstream again considering Metallica now but they were still like a thrash band back then yeah yeah uh, cool cool stuff and you know like especially in context when you know a little bit of the story like that man um and uh, just another thing from the, the movie I wanted to ask you about we got into um 
uh, it, it kind of seemed like almost like a random moment. Um, like your uh, your director Roy um, was filming. There was a protest in the street in Bangladesh, um, and he ran into members of a band called Thrash. If I got that correct. And I don't know, like, I don't know if they were planning on meeting up, but it kind of seemed like these guys are, are protesting and they're in a band, so they talked to them for a few minutes. Um, and it, you know, a few months ago when I first watched the documentary, uh, as interesting as it was to me, now watching it in context of current events and everything going on in the United States in certain cities and in other parts of the world, I, I found that very interesting. And another, just kind of like another parallel, uh, and watching this movie. Uh, just, I, I'm, I'm trying to get by without using a cliche, but ju just how um, how alike things really can be, uh, you know, just despite how far away we are and what different cultures we are. Yep, absolutely. So, um, yeah, this uh, it, it just so happened that this was like the last segment of uh, what Roy was shooting in Bangladesh. So um, he went to uh, Dhaka, that's the capital city, to catch up on uh, these uh, different uh, people in the interviews. So you have the uh, lead vocalist and guitarist from Orator, whose house he went to and whose father he spoke to. And uh, if you look, there is a shot of him wearing a Statistic Intent t-shirt. So that's his background. And then bumping into this random guy that was not planned. He bumped into the guy because I think he was wearing a Dio or a Rainbow t-shirt if I'm not mistaken, in the movie, if you look correctly. So he must have spotted him in the protest and like, that looks like a metalhead, let's go and talk to him. And then it turns out that he plays in a band called Trash. And then he spoke about um, the protest and what they're protesting against. Uh, it was against um, the army and the atrocities committed by the army. So I think that is a general uh, situation in Bangladesh in, um, in if you read the newspapers there are always protests or counter protests the government clamping down on them um, but that's not the case let's say in India we have parts of it and uh, quite violent uh, ones as well uh, but it sort of evens out and now of course with uh, you know coronavirus being around it's been less because our numbers are all staggering up so we won't get those many protests but yeah for example, um, in Bangladesh, at, this was 2014. Uh, so that was what was happening at that point of time. And it just so happened that Roy was there capturing that stuff. Yeah, really interesting um, raw footage. And, you know, shout to Roy. We really, uh, you know, if he eventually listens to this, we really enjoyed the film. And I, I enjoyed the production value, the production quality of the film itself. It wasn't what I would call a raw documentary. It was very well produced. It was kind of slick. It had a kind of an artistic angle to it. As a fan of music, objectively, you could even get through the documentary um, just ba just off of the quality of the, the live shots and the music that's interjected into it. Keeps your, it keeps your attention for people that... Uh, might not have the attention span for some of the uh, the, the content there, but um, just a really well-made documentary. And it was interesting to me how I, I noticed kind of um, almost midway through, about 40 minutes through or so, there, there's like a credits sequence. Um, and then it goes back into uh, other shots, and then there's an epilogue, there's like an introduction. It's it's not um, put together with like your average documentary would flow. It's, it's more like some sort of, uh, I, I'll let you take over. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can I can give you my insight on this. So uh, maybe that's where I can tell you how I got in touch with Roy with this documentary. So 
just to give you a background of how the documentary started so roy started collecting this material way back in 2014 with when you start with the show at impiety in calcutta um and he had this idea that he wanted to do something like this first focusing on india itself because we are large enough a country and then he got in touch with the guys from uh, bangladesh pakistan sri lanka um and said you know let's make it a indian subcontinent stuff right um and uh, i think uh, at some point of time he had got enough footage but he needed to really put it down into production mode um and uh, he was running out of cash so he had already put in a lot of money he and his father um and his father was extremely supportive of it which is really so shout out to Roy's dad for being like a, the well, he's actually one of the uh, executive producers as well for the documentary or co-producers of the documentary so um uh, at some point of time Roy just said you know I think I need to start a crowdfunding campaign to start collecting money to finish up the movie and uh, I think we set uh, let's say converted into um American dollars I would say something like 8 9000 American dollars just to finish off the work to finish up the sound um the uh production for or let's say the fine tuning of the movie uh color editing etc to hire somebody to do that for us etc so he started a crowdfunding campaign and i was um made aware of this from one of my friends whom i um know from a very long time back when i was growing up and it's so funny you know these things like sometimes when you look back at stuff you think you know like sometimes the stars align in a really weird way right so this friend of mine i know him because we met way back because we were slayer fans lost touch and then got reconnected um if you guys remember there used to be a proto social media network called orkut which got acquired by google sometime back um it had like just basic profile and you know you had these groups where you could add on to and he found me there in the dsi group he said hey are you the same abey from uh, this city way back then i was like fuck yeah man are you the same rotesh he said yeah wow crazy <laughs> stuff and that's how we got in touch and he forwarded me the link to the crowdfunding campaign for roy saying that hey you know what a guy in india is doing this uh, see if you can spread the word around you know get some cash so i took a look at his crowdfunding um, trailer that he had made like a pitch to everybody that hey i want to do this and i was stoked i was like somebody's finally fucking doing this let's get in touch so i wrote to roy then you know he thought i was one of those yahoo who just messages on facebook saying hey i'm supporting your documentary but doesn't chip in but i said no i really want to uh, put in uh, the crowdfunding uh, um, amount that uh, and i really want to be a producer So he asked me, "Are you serious about it?" I was like, "Yeah, absolutely." Um, and then I decided to make uh, my funding on the 8th of December 2017. And the funny thing is, that happens to be Roy's birthday. So I did it as a birthday present to him, saying that, "Hey, bro, happy birthday! Here's your money for your movie. Go fucking make the movie. Let me know what what's going on." And he tells me, uh, "Can I call you back later?" Uh, I'm actually outside the maternity ward. My wife giving birth. I was like, "Are you fucking kidding me, man? Why are you even picking up calls right wow. now?" So I said, "Okay, go ahead." And funnily enough, his daughter was born on the same day as his birthday. So his daughter coming to life on the same day as his birthday was like, you know, I said, you know, there is something, man. Something's going on. This needs to happen. So 
that was let's say our push so as soon as baby mia the first daughter's name came into um his life and of course my son was already there um uh, he was around uh, uh, four then um and uh, or uh, three actually three, uh, going to turn four then so i was like you know hey uh, i'm a dad too you're a dad now you're gonna you're you're gonna have sleepless nights get fucking used to it <laughs> so so then that's how and and then um get wheels running you know saying okay um you are a creative guy um but in terms of managing communications with other people who are involved in the documentary trying to get them to work together in a team uh, you need something like a pseudo project manager which is sort of similar to the job that I do so um i said okay i can manage this for you and uh, you focus on the creative side i manage the the bullshit and uh, i'll try to keep the bullshit off your table so i can finish the documentary and i think he finished the documentary in september uh, 2018 um, and uh, i think we submitted it to a lot of uh, film festivals majorly big ones um like bernanalle um quite a couple of film festivals in the united states uh i think south part by southwest um but we got actually rejected by all of them so uh, we were kind of getting really bad that you know maybe you know uh, this is not really the scene for our documentary because it's very niche if you look at it it's a very specific um music segment and it has got a lot of stuff which may let's say quote and quote trigger people that have been come uh, like people talking about it hey you know this part is very triggering i said well watch it if you don't like it don't watch it again yeah i mean or uh, or don't recommend it but if you liked it uh, we would like you to spread the word but i think uh, once we started getting recognized in the smaller film festivals and we got a premiere in south korea uh, for which roy flew to south korea then things started catching up and then we got uh, connected with uh, people in south america and this uh, believe it or not there is actually a film festival dedicated to cinema and metal in uh colombia yeah it's called festival internacional cine y metal <laughs> in colombia and they said we really want to see a movie but can we have spanish subtitles um i said that uh, um, we have to get spanish subtitles done so so that we could reach an audience in uh, colombia and the spanish speaking part in south america uh, and also the other latin american parts um and uh, one of my friends rafael um he's a big fan of afterbirth as a way well you might know him <laughs> rafael fernandez um he's a big bdm fan and um, he said bro i am a dominican i will help you out and for no charges nothing just broke out just sat down i sent him the subtitles in english he translated it sent it back to us we did a little bit of fine tuning here and there and we submitted the documentary and we bloody won the award there so i was like this is awesome man i mean and we reached out to a spanish speaking audience and we got a really good review from the spanish speaking press in colombia and then because of that festival another festival in peru contacted us with the sense that you know we would like your documentary to be featured there as well and we won again so shout out to our south american brothers man we made the movie for an in international audience but we're getting a lot of love from south america and also 
Brazil recently, and we just put in Portuguese subtitles just for Brazil and Portugal recently. Nice. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a giant metal audience in Brazil, um, so mm -hmm. it would definitely be definitely a good move to get that subtitle in Portuguese, get it out there. They they love their metal. Exactly, and they're quite hardcore, man. I mean, if you look at the the other bands, I mean, you have of course your Sepultura and let's say more quote-unquote popular bands like Christian from Brazil who are now known worldwide but you have these other bands uh, from the older times like Sarcophago yeah. um, and you have Mystifier, Mutilator um, and uh, yeah the whole I would say the black trash genre which is still pretty much alive and kicking there yeah. in Belo Horizonte I think uh, even yeah. uh, the vocalist of, uh, of uh, Mystifier released a two-part documentary recently and I got in touch with Armando Beelzebub of Mystifier saying that, hey bro, uh, I saw your documentary, it was in Portuguese with English subtitles, thank you so much. Um, here, watch our documentary. <laughs> like I gotta look out for that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of cool. So I think it's called Two Days in the City or, or, or the City of the Dead. Translated into uh, Portuguese, but you can look it up. It's free on YouTube. Two-part documentary. Okay, and and Extreme Nation is available. I think I saw uh, it in, it's available in several languages. Uh, closed caption on Vimeo, um, where you, where people can rent it or buy it. Um, and uh, it, it's if I'm not mistaken, it's also on uh, like like a few other like platforms. Um, Doc and Roll TV. Any, anything else like that you want to plug? Um, yeah, well, uh, Doc and Roll TV actually inducted us in because they wanted to showcase um, a bunch of music documentaries, uh, especially during the time of lockdown because they are looking for content, man, <laughs> to get their uh, engagements on their site. So they selected us and uh, our film is actually with the British Film Institute these days and Doc and Roll TV is associated with it. Um, and they are also selling via Vimeo at a slightly higher rate. <laughs> so, <laughs> if you want, if you want to watch Extreme Nation, you come directly to us. <laughs> but shout out to Talk and Roll TV for Im uh, imbibing us in, or you know, taking us in on their platform. Yeah. Tell, tell them Uncle Buck sent you. Um, all right. So, uh, you know, there's. I, I just, like I said, I watched the movie um, about maybe, I guess, two months ago now, and I just watched it uh, this morning, and um, you cleared up, uh, you know, some of the things I was a little uncertain about. I don't want to give away too much of it, uh, because I want people to be to feel compelled to watch it, um, but is there anything else that you wanted to say about the movie, or anything we didn't get into? Um, I think uh, uh, in terms of the documentary itself, um, I mean, since you've watched it, Without giving too much out, I would uh, say that, you know, we did get a lot of testimonials in the last couple of months and even one really cool one today. Uh, so maybe I'd like to talk about the testimonials and uh, that's where my buddy Fawzan Masvidal fits in. So um, uh, we, of course, uh, are in touch with a lot of bands uh, because of the documentary and also otherwise. So I was connected to... Strangely enough, really a gamut of people on my Facebook, maybe, you know, you just send them friend requests and they accept it. But, you know, you never really talk to them or stuff. And I think once the documentary came into being, I said, you know, hey, we're doing this, you know, check it out. Uh, something new. We got some really positive responses. So, for example, um, uh, starting with, uh, uh, let's say, 
do you know Batu from Senator? Uh, well, I was in touch with him maybe like 20 years ago, uh, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm obviously a big Senator fan, yeah. Yeah, so Senator actually played live in Zurich last year, and I met Batu mm-hmm. because he is friends with my friend Rafael, who did our Spanish subtitles. Um, and uh, Batu being an extremely cool guy, really chilled out guy, I said, you know, hey Batu, we haven't got testimonials yet. Um, we want to get like a different perspective. So being a band from Turkey, which is also quite uh, unusual for a slamming band from Turkey. So, you know, what's your take on it? So he actually watched it. Uh, this was before we went live with Vimeo. Um, and he had good things to say. Then uh, uh, we reached out to the drummer from, uh, uh, I think now he plays for Morton, uh, John Sakran Foran. I think he is, his at least his background is from the Indian subcontinent, but I could not uh, know for sure where he's from. I'd say Sri Lankan or from the south in India or in Sri Lanka. Uh, so he gave a very good review and that got us really pumped up. And uh, uh, then I actually wrote to Paul Masvidal because of Kelly Schaefer. <laughs> and how do I know Kelly Schaefer is also an interesting story. Maybe I'll just cut it short for you. So Kelly, uh, and uh, you know that he has come on your podcast as well. So I think, I don't know whether he spoke about his daughter, but his daughter has autism. And uh, my son also has autism. So I think I wrote to him somewhere in 2017, this was before I got involved in the documentary, saying that, hey Kelly, I've seen literally your daughter Lily grow up on Facebook and seen all her challenges. And my son was diagnosed recently. It's really an honor knowing you, man. You are the mother man, <laughs> like yeah. the atheist song. Yeah? So he was like, hey man, that's great. Can I put this on my Facebook wall? And I was a little different because I was like, you know, hey, I've not even discussed this with my friends, but um, I was in my acceptance phase that, you know, I was like, okay, I'm accepting my son's diagnosis. I'm like, fuck it, do it, man. Once I think he did that, I started reaching out to a lot of more people. So um, a lot of people who have uh, kids with the same condition have spoken to me regarding this separately from the metal community or outside the community. it's just been a very therapeutic experience from my side. So let's say 2017, when I was getting into the documentary, was quite a turmoil. Uh, I would say was, there was a lot of turmoil in my life back then. But, you know, it all turned out to be good. And I think Kelly said that, you know, hey, if you want to talk to uh, Paul Masvidal, just write him an email. I was like, are you serious? He would reply to an email. Why? He said, do it, man. He was my roommate for a while. He's a good buddy of mine. Just write to him and believe it or not, guys, he replied. And I was fucking crying tears because I saw Paul Mastodal in lack of comprehension, like I spoke about on MTV at Bangers Ball. He is in the intro of that song, you know, where it starts off. He's wearing this T-shirt with these two eyes. And then he goes into the whole whirlwind headbanging mode. That's when he had long hair back then. And imagine him writing back saying, you know, hey, uh, Kelly told me about your son. I am glad that you are finding um, solace in Phoenix music. And man, I fucking broke down in tears, man. That was like too much, too much for me to take in. Uh. So I've been in touch with uh, Paul uh, now and then. And funnily enough, during the lockdown, he asked somebody, could somebody update my Wikipedia page or something like that? And I said, hey, Paul, um, I I can do that. I'm I'm a nerd. 
<laughs> can I can tell that. <laughs> so I've been in touch with Paul back and forth, and of course he just lost Sean Reiner recently in January. So I was also not very sure whether he'll be that open, but I think he's also found solace in continuing Cynic. Um, and he's been giving me updates. So he's sort of reliving his whole life through his Wikipedia page. And um, yeah, I have helped him update it. <laughs> so that's a, a chip on my shoulder, being in touch with Paul. And yeah, shout out to him. Man. And uh, he sent in his testimony. We had sent him the movie. He really loved it. And uh, we were so stoked when we got Paul's endorsement, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and today, Roy um, surprised me because he said, you know who has sent the testimonial today? I said, who? He said, uh, you know the band Blasphemy? I said, yeah, of course. He said, do you know Ryan Forster, the guy who is the guitarist for Blasphemy? I said, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. I said, yeah, Ryan has chipped in. And he's seen the documentary. And he loved it. And we just went live with that on our news feed recently. So shout out to Ryan Forster again. I think he's on his way. He's somewhere. Um, I don't know whether he's in Canada right now in Ross Bay. Uh, but he said that, hey, um, I said, if you're coming to Zurich ever, give me a call, man. We need to have a beer or two <laughs> or a couple. Maybe. <laughs> that was awesome. And so good for the documentary. It's really good for us to be like an independent documentary um, making unit to get the sort of recognition from um, all these different stalwarts of genres, you know, death metal, black war metal and all slam like Batu is from uh, Cenotaph. And uh, yeah, I mean, this has just been overwhelming. Yeah, So we intend to keep going on with this and uh, yeah, get more and more endorsements from people just trying to spread the word more. Maybe have a screening whenever time or the powers that be allow it. Um, we were thinking of going to Norway for Inferno uh, Festival to showcase the film just like we did with Bakken Open Air last year. Uh, but that got canned, of course. Uh, so nothing until 2021. So that's why we have it on Vimeo. So we want to reach out as many people on Vimeo um, seeing the movie online. As much as possible. Awesome, man. And uh, shout out to Kelly Schaefer and Paul from uh, uh, Cynic. Um, yeah, Kelly Schaefer, we, we stuck to uh, music. We didn't really get too much into uh, fatherhood with him, but that's awesome that he was um, receptive uh, to you as a fan like that, man. He definitely seemed like a really cool, down-to-earth type of guy, so I'm not surprised to hear that at all, man. Um, that's how the- He's a true bro. Him and I think Paul are one of, I would say, the most, approachable people whom you would think, I mean, coming from that stature, I mean, uh, I'm sure Chuck was the same way. I mean, they probably come from the same school of thought of being extremely cool guys without too much ego at all. And um, I don't know if you know this, but uh, uh, Paul Masudal, he is a practicing Buddhist. So, you know, he already has that in his music and in his uh, spirituality, and it shows in his music. And when you approach him, he has that sort of a elderly brother um, kind of a persona and you talk to him and he sort of puts you at ease. Kelly is, is a different, he's like quite the, uh, the, the man and he's the front man of atheists, he's always been that way. But he is like the, the reality check guy, you know, he keeps it, keeps it real. <laughs> 
We we got to add him to the list of uh, people we got. You know, we can only produce so many episodes at a time, but we have to add him to the list of people we want to reach out to uh, for the podcast. Uh, just like we reached out to you, Epe, and we we appreciate um, your time. And as uh, if you've listened to the show, we you know we we normally wrap things up by asking you to recommend for us and for the listeners uh, one classic release and one newer release by any artists you like at all um, to, for for uh, for the listeners' recommendation. Okay, uh, classic. You mean classic uh, in uh, any subgenre within metal? Is it anything you want that's a little bit older? I would say uh, for let's say I'm, I'm 42 years old. I can say or use the word kids. So kids, if you're listening to this podcast, if you have never heard of Judas Priest Painkiller, buy that album. Buy There that album go. and listen to Judas Priest Painkiller, and of course listen to the older records as well. But if you're really into heavier, fast, shrieking vocals, mind-boggling guitars. Uh, from Glenn Tipton and KK uh, Downing, that is your go-to album. Let's say you're starting, and then you can keep exploring Judas Priest if you want to. But I would say that's a good icebreaker because that's what did it for me. Painkiller, man. End of story. I, I will co-sign that. I will co-sign that 100. Love that. Strong love recommendation. It, yeah, yeah. And among the newer releases, oh, there is so many of them uh, from this year. Actually. Since Will, you're on the podcast, Afterbirth, new release, <laughs> Four Dimensional, uh, I'm forgetting the, the complete album, but... Uh, Four Dimensional Flesh, available now on Unique Leader Records. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Four Dimensional Flesh by Afterbirth. It is a step into, uh, I would say, sci-fi territory, just like you have with the other band, Artificial Brain. That's also a good band that I listen to. But I think um, Afterbirth, Uh, new release was kind of uh, a step different than all the newer death metal albums that I've listened to, um, and of course, uh, uh, shout out to Blood Incantation as well. Their album was good, but a little too short. Afterbirth, I would recommend Afterbirth, <laughs> <laughs> and not because you're on the podcast, because I was recommended to it by again my buddy Raphael, who is a big Afterbirth fan as well. So, shout out to Raphael for. Giving a shout out to Will and Afterbirth. <laughs> shout, shout out to Raphael, man, and thank you for using your plug to plug me. That's great, man, and the other <laughs> Afterbirth guys for uh, for letting me hang hang uh, in the room with them, man. Um, appreciate that. And um, with that being said, man, uh, you know we thank you for your time. We're going to be respectful of your time. Um, as we mentioned, the movie is Extreme Nation, uh, available on Vimeo. Uh, anything else you want to plug or say about it or say to um, uh, fans of the movie or listeners of our podcast? I would say if you have not checked out the movie or the documentary yet, uh, it's on Vimeo. Look it up or uh, check out our Facebook or our Instagram uh, feed. Uh, you can just search in Extreme Nation. It should pop up. There aren't too many of that. And you will find our link for Vimeo on pretty much every every post that we do because we're really pushing it so that it reaches a wider audience. Um, and uh, yeah, if you are looking for something to do during the lockdown and you can't get out and are looking to listen to cool podcasts, I think that was one of them. And uh, of course, a shout out to Hassan from Ripping Headaches Promotions for pointing us to uh, Heavy Hole Podcast. That's how I started listening to you guys regularly. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. Right I guess 
I, I guess Hassan posting a random when you guys decided to put it on Vimeo for free for a period of time when the coronavirus first hit heavy uh, and shut everything down for us. Um, Hassan posted the link, and here we are. Like it kind of led us to this moment here, where we're, we've interviewed you now. So um, uh, obviously, shout out to Hassan, and um, uh, thank thank you very much for your time, brother. We appreciate it, and shout out to Roy. Uh, obviously, you know, like like we said, job well done on the um, uh, the directorial angle for him, man. Uh, and uh, we'll be in touch, brother, when this episode is up, man. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Will. Thank you, Justin. Tom, it was a pleasure talking to you guys. Thanks, well, it was just like talking to a bunch of buddies, you know, over uh, you know in in this lockdown time and uh, talking about metal. Hell yeah, yeah man! That's <laughs> what we live for now. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate yeah. it, man. Yeah. Cheers, guys. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, have a good one. Right. Cheers, brother. I'll be in touch. Cheers, guys. Take it easy. Okay, that was our interview with Abhay Singh, uh, the executive producer of Extreme Nation, the documentary available now on Vimeo. We talked a lot about it, man. Um, and uh, we also talked about it on our documentary episode a while back uh, that kind of like um, spawned this whole idea for this episode, man. So we appreciate his time. Absolutely. Um, yep. Great to hear his perspective on stuff. He's been all over the place. Being born in India, then spending time in D.C. and in Zurich, seeing different metal scenes, and then being able to bring Eastern perspective to uh, Western audiences. Good move on him. So I, I, I appreciate his work. Definitely. And the and the insight from uh, Western music, as you know, as far as heavy music coming out of the States, and you know, locally to us, it's, it's nice to hear how, how the East Coast sound travels and uh, how other people interpret it. Yes, yeah, slam band, syphilectomy uh, yeah. from India, man. Um, and shout out to all of our listeners out there that might be listening from that part of the world uh, or, or trace their roots to that part of the world, man. Interesting documentary. Um, I've talked about it a lot and recommended it a lot. Now I'm going to turn it over to you guys. I want you to recommend me something from uh, from anywhere you fancy. Cool, man. All right, well, uh, I'll start this off here, and I want to bring to everybody's attention the brand-new EP from... California hardcore band Trash Talk. Uh, this EP is called Squalor. That came out uh, a couple days ago uh, on the record. Uh, it came at the end of May, let's say. Beginning of June, end of May. It doesn't really matter. Who's counting? All that Who's matters counting is, anymore? All that matters is that it's out and you can listen to it digital or like I have this sweet little cassette. Boom. There we go. Doing a will thing right now. Cassette flex. Flex. Um, flex. Yeah, so uh, I'm really digging this uh, this really quick eight minute fucking EP uh, produced by Kenny Beats. Uh, for any of you new school hip hop heads out there, Kenny Beats is an, an up and coming hip hop producer working with fucking I don't know Gucci Mane and shit like that. I don't really listen to so much, but you know what he's done here with Trash Talk, I, I really I really fuck with because he it's. Um, I guess you know, working in collaboration with this band to to hone their sound a little bit, and he kind of shows off uh, 
what he what he can do, or at least coming from the hip hop world in a lot of these interludes, um, you know, mixing the vocalists, uh, well, you know, the vocals like over some beats to kind of trans- transition between songs. But this EP is it's a uh, it's quick, it's it's raw, it's angry, it's street level hardcore. Uh, it's fucking spray painting music. You know what I mean? Grind some rails to uh. this shit. Um, uh, also. One reason why I truly love this band is it features uh, one of my favorite drummers, this guy Thomas Pridgen, who you might know from Mars Volta, uh, some of the later Mars Volta records. Just a, an exceptional, like, gospel, jazz, fusion, rock drummer. And uh, he's playing, like, straightforward hardcore over this, but the little flourishes that he throws in the fills and, uh, you know, some of the cymbal work is is truly impressive and and. It just hits, and any drum fans out there, you'll know what I'm talking about. So check out Squalor from from Trash Talk. I love the way this sounds, man. the The, the mix is perfect. It just like um, it, it is more in the vein of West Coast punk than it is like straight up hardcore. Yeah, um, yeah, dude. And I, I I really like it. I like the approach. It's uh, it's a great package. The bass is cutting like yes. the entire way, man. I, I love that, and I wonder if that's a that's a Kenny Beats thing. You know what I mean? I I read a little bit about the production of it. They both like learned a lot off of each other, and I think this is um, you know, it's just a very successful collaboration where where both both entities came out better because of it. Yeah, listening to it, I was going to comment on the production. Now I know why it stood out to me like that. Um, and yeah, the drummer too really carries a lot of that um that catchiness. Really, really good recommendation. I've heard this name around for a long time now. Obviously, not necessarily my neck of the woods of extreme music, um, but I was I was really glad to hear this. Uh, I feel caught up to date with the young people a little bit now. It's an interesting, uh, interesting band that kind of bridges the punk and hip hop thing. Um, they're, I mean, they were signed to Odd Future uh, for for a little while and uh, putting out records and playing secret shows and. Uh, in, I, I mean, Tom, I think we were talking about this the other night, how we caught them at some hole in the wall in Brooklyn, like open up for violent hip hop acts. You know what I mean? And, and it's a small place and it was it was just energy. Um, yeah, I think that was about 2014 when I forget the name of the full length they put out, but it really blew up. And it, it got like um, some almost mainstream attention for a while. Um, so it yeah. was like great. People were going nuts. Yeah, I want to say it was 119. Was uh, Maybe that was the album. Um, or No Peace, which they put out I think it was 14. No Peace. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really funny. I, I, uh, I can relate to that. I'm, uh, I have an Instagram page. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I like hip-hop. I'm, yeah, you know, you, know. You, you might catch this band on Vice, right? Action Bronson cooking some food while this band's playing in the background, yeah. something like that. You know, that's kind of the, the, the world that they live in. And, uh... Man, it's I like records. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, no. man. I no tra- trash talk is, is a cool band, man. I'm just riff- riffing on how old I am and how, how anything <laughs> under thirty is just like hipsters. <laughs> yeah, dude, in my yeah, DVR it works. Yeah, yeah. I could I could uh, DVR that Action Bronson cooking show for you, man. I'll be up in the loft if you need me. <laughs> yeah, dude. Open concepts. There you go.
Okay, so I'm bringing in a band. Just doing it. I'm just doing it, and I'm bringing in a band that no one has heard of, including myself, until <laughs> I found them. Uh, using the YouTube algorithm, which has surprisingly improved recently. I found this band called Suffocate Bastard. Uh, Those are two words. Yeah, they're, Those they're are definitely. <laughs> I love it. That's a, that's a great. If you're gonna pick any two random words to name your band, that's good. Um, I would, yeah, I, nece- I wouldn't necessarily throw that into the terrible band name category. Just, just bold. Anyway, yeah, these guys from Germany, North Rhine, Westphalia. I mean, if you're familiar with Volkswagens, might ring a bell. I found their demo from 2004 called Architects of Perversity. This is a perfect example of a band that was looking at multiple excellent bands in the death metal community that sounded different and then decided to kind of make their own take on it. So this is not a band that's worshipping any one other band. They're not like a Discord worship band or a Deeds of Flesh worship band. Um, They are taking a whole bunch of influences and packaging them tightly together, Um, which I like. I like when when guys write riffs and kind of like shift them around and don't try to base the songwriting on another band. Uh, That's the impression I'm getting off of this uh, release, Architects of Perversity. It's straightforward. The, the, The drum sound is just perfect blast beat tone if you ask me uh for this time period it just kind of like hammers you got this like uh like every drum has a cinder block in it super heavy (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah it's got cool riffs in it so um not rewriting the wheel but definitely a, a a cool listen for those who like to expand their knowledge of brutal death metal world yeah kind of an unexpected um primitive take on like brutal guttural slam if you ask me or like slam influenced death metal so i gotta i gotta yeah i gotta slow down on the on the slam word sometimes i forget what context that means nowadays but the the kind of like a early brutal groove oriented death metal thing going on um i thought this was interesting too because it has some uh like sonic like you said like it had like some some differences and styles represented throughout the album you know what i mean like it was it was brutal death metal, but it, you couldn't pin it down as sounding exactly like any one band. You know, yeah. This is what I love, uh, Tom, from a recommendation of yours. This this sounds like you to me. You know what I mean? Uh, with the exception of with the exception of the leads, some for some reason like these leads seem very ambitious to me. They just come out of fucking nowhere. They're they're way loud in the mix, and they're like, you know, it happens, and you're like, huh? All right, <laughs> you know, that's that. But that's cool. You know. It, it, it helps uh, but yeah at the same time it's like you know I, I left I scratched my head a few times uh, the, you know the first time I listened to it uh, the way those leads just poke out of nowhere you know just hopping out from behind a bush to kind of confront you a little bit uh, but but I dig it I dig it so much yeah honestly uh, I never even thought of that I, because I do like the songwriting so much and I, I, I am very forgiving when it comes to leads and stuff the the, the, the competitive nature of technical death metal, any kind of technical death metal, is so crazy that people are just trying crazy shit. The leads, I, uh, yeah, they, I, great point. Um, they're not going to make the song for you. You know what is going to make the song? The fucking songwriting. What should be? Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Check it out. Suffocate Bastard. Great use of pinch harmonics all the way through.
Okay, my recommendation is... Um, well, it's it's an album, but it's also specifically a video that came out uh, by way of Slam Worldwide on YouTube about a week ago. Uh, it's the song Foreseen Scriptures by the band Prophecy from Texas. Uh, a band I've brought up a few times over the years. Um, a band that's kind of close to my heart because they released the Foretold Foreseen CD um, uh, many years ago. I think like I think it was 98, 99. There was an episode where I recommended it a while back. I forget which one it was. but And they've put out some like singles and some releases since then, some uh, that I liked more than others. But this Foreseen Scriptures really sees them getting back to their... Um, like their original identity, um, kind of like if if anything, I would say like a, a dying fetus um, kind of slam death metal sound, but infused with um, more of a traditional uh, classical like thrash and old school death metal songwriting. Um, James Parks is the uh, like the founding member who's kept it going throughout all these years with various lineup changes, but the star of this video really is Drew Duffy, uh, the vocalist who. It's going to be a polarizing video. People are either going to love it or hate it because of the singer uh, and his performance. But I, I, what I took from this video is I want to go see these guys live. Uh, if I get the opportunity when things open up, if there's a fest or if they come New York, East Coast way, I would love to see them live because it was... Um, it just looked like they bring a solid death metal set, um, kind of a mix in the lineup of old school dudes and more new school guys. Uh, but you know, there's James Parks, the original guitarist. They're holding it down, and it is very true to prophecy and what you'd expect from them if you're an old school fan from the '90s. So it's just kind of a great, like maybe nostalgia, or, or you know, just you're proud of them. You're you're glad to see that he's still keeping it alive. And like I said, man, you know, some people are gonna watch the video and not really feel the singer because he's doing a little too much. But I thought it was a great performance. Um, I saw in the comments section somebody referenced Ace Ventura, where Jim Carrey jumps on stage with Cannibal Corpse. And you yeah. gotta admit, man, with the cargo shorts and everything, man, he's got that vibe. But I thought it was great because as a vocalist. He just really he, he looks like your typical kind of like teenager, early twenties guy. That's that's you know not, he doesn't really have uh, tattoos or the long hair, nothing. But he gets up there and he does it, man. And when you see someone like that at a show, it's it's great, man. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, if if you don't like this video because of the singer, that's well, that's a mistake. Huh. Yeah, it's, you're wrong about your opinion. Yeah, uh, I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I didn't know his full name, but like I could have definitely guessed that Duff was somewhere in. The, the, you know, somewhere in his full name, um, he's he's everything to me in, in this music video as I'm watching it right now. Uh, yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's trying man. to do Come like on. a you know a little bit of like a cattle decap kind of thing, but or like an early guy from the red cord. He looks like just with the, your you know generic number two haircut. Uh, yeah, buzz yeah, it. He's, just buzz it. I'll, I'll I'll do this again in three months. That's the haircut. Yeah. I have it right now. I know. Relate. <laughs> Dude, he gets it. Uh, I wish there was more of him in this video, and I wish it was a more wooded area. Um, <laughs> you know, I could see him really using like uh, tr- poking out the trees as like uh, you know to his benefit. Um, but yeah, seeing them, seeing them live, you know, and maybe he's got some sort of obstacles live that he can work with uh, in between the crowd or something like that. Man, he's got to hike those socks up. Maybe get a little. <laughs> his belt looks really. His belt looks nice too. You know. Um, that, that might be like your kind of in between casual and dress belt, you know, where you can go, you know, if you just want, if you have one belt and you kind of use it for casual and formal occasions, like he's wearing that with the shorts, you know, can easily work with slacks. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. He's, he's your, he's your every man. I love I, I mean, a smart man invests lots of money into his belt because you don't need to buy many of them. 
if you just oh, get yeah. the right one. He's out there belting around. But let's all right. Let's uh, let's go back to the actual music part for a bit. This song is good. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of really cool. Like you know, it starts out more traditional death metal, and then they kind of like throw some cool like techie um, tech influenced. Like, and, and when I say tech, I mean more like on the malignancy tech, where it's like um, just kind of throwing some shit at you drum wise and like some interesting guitar techniques that are more on the simpler side that get overlooked, which is great songwriting. So this song is killer. That's uh, that's that good old prophecy. As a prophecy connoisseur, um, this to me is their best uh, vocalist and their best like solid offering since uh, 2016's The Beginning, where they had uh, Jacob Mathis on uh, vocals on a few tracks of the band um, uh, Broken Flesh. Uh, and that that was a monumental. Uh, I think he did two or three songs with them. That was a great pairing of vocals. And um, hearing them now with this guy Drew Duffy and seeing the video, it's kind of I'm, I'm glad they got a proper frontman in the band again. This kind of this held, this holds the attention. Uh, the songwriting is is great. It's perfectly technical and groovy. And the way they the riffs evolve a little bit and work together, uh, you know, it's a success. I like it. <laughs> I like it a lot. It's, it's a successful song. They did it. Told me to suffocate and called me a bastard. I don't know what that was all about, uh, but we heard some good death metal. This is a naughty version of this of this yeah, heavy hole podcast. I'm using cuss words like bastard. Yeah, uh, trash talk, as yeah. they say. Come on, I'm ripping them, man. I'm swerving on the Segway. Wow. We, I, I'm going to admit, we hit a couple of bumps on the Segway earlier uh, today on the introduction, and I'm making up for it now. I'm I'm curving on them. Um, I have I got spinners on the Segway right now, uh, and I um. Uh, I spun you guys right back into that prophecy, man. That guy give. I wish that that was the only thing missing. Give Drew Duffy a segue uh, while he's doing vocals, man. On the next video, that's all I want to see. Um, in the in the woods with with mud treads on it. Getting back to reality, uh, Extreme Nation is the video. Um, Abhay Singh is the ex- uh, is the executive producer. Um, like we said, available on Vimeo. We strongly recommend you check out that movie. It's uh. Uh, look into a different world, and um, yet there's a lot of uh, stuff that we could all relate to as metalheads going on as well. So uh, we thank him for his time, um, and shout out to uh, the rest of the production crew uh, and, and the director, Roy, and everybody involved with that. It was uh, great to talk to him and to see that movie. Absolutely. Appreciate his time. Like I said, the perspective is great. The common love for this kind of music, it's all over. It's great stuff. Uh, Bob Marley put it best. Uh, how, how many loves is it, guys? Just one. Oh, heavyholepodcast.com.